81 years ago, March 1931, Father Fulton J. Sheen made a prophetic statement. In response to a decision announced by the United States Federal Council of Churches of Christ, it's now called the National Council of Churches of Christ in the USA. It's a group of mainline Protestant and Eastern Orthodox denominations. Father Fulton J. Sheen stated, quote, Since a week ago, last Saturday, we can no longer expect them to defend the law of God. These sects will work out the very logic of their ways. And in 50 or 100 years, there will be only the church and paganism. We will be left to fight the battle alone. And we will. Close quote. We can no longer expect them to defend the law of God. These sects will work out the very logic of their ways, and in 50 or 100 years there will be only the church and paganism. We will be left to fight the battle alone, and we will. What was Fulton Sheen reacting to? We'll get to that later, but first let's spend a few minutes reviewing Last week, we spent some time making sure that everyone here has a very clear idea of what exactly marriage actually is. We saw that marriage is a contract that results in a relationship. We saw that the marriage contract is very specific. A man and a woman give and accept perpetual and exclusive right for acts which are of themselves suitable for the generation of children. We saw that God attaches a consequence to making this contract. If a man and a woman validly make this contract, then the two of them become related to each other closer than a brother is related to a sister, closer actually than a father is related to his son, and that relationship is made immediately and directly by God. That's marriage. Last week, we also considered the latest attack in the 500-year-old war against marriage. It's painful to say this, but this current attack, the attack on the contract between a man and a woman, is in perfect accord with the principles of the Protestant revolt. The Protestant revolutionaries, and that is the correct term, they weren't reforming anything. The Protestant revolutionaries directly attacked and denied two other conditions proper to the marriage contract. They attacked both the perpetuity as well as the exclusivity. Both of those were attacked. In terms of the Protestant attack on perpetuity and exclusivity, we can just take the case of Henry VIII. That syphilitic toad broke away from the one true church and founded the Church of England over this very point. He set aside his true wife, Queen Catherine of Aragon, for Anne Boleyn, who he later beheaded. The day after her beheading, he married another woman who died some days after giving birth. The next woman in the lineup lasted a whopping six months before he divorced her. The next woman made it about a year and a half before he had her beheaded, and the last one outlived him. 
Brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. So much for perpetuity. And these so-called reformers didn't scruple to attack the exclusivity of marriage. Luther and Melanchthon, now for people that aren't sure who Melanchthon is, Melanchthon was a co-founder, along with Father Luther, of the system of Lutheranism. Both stated that Henry VIII could practice polygamy. As we know, Henry VIII didn't take their advice openly. He did not take their advice openly. But what many people don't realize is that he did so privately. And here I refer to a Protestant author, William Cobbett, who tells us in details far too great to get into today that Henry VIII got married to Anne Boleyn in January of 1533, and he got divorced from Queen Catherine of Aragon four months later in May of 1533. Brilliant. It's just absolutely brilliant. So much for exclusivity. But it gets better. In December of 1539, a German count named Philip of Hesse asked Luther if he could please take a second wife. Well, he uh, retained the first. In a written opinion, Luther and Melanchthon stated that the second marriage was not contrary to the law of God. Philip could enter into it, but they demanded, these great reformers, they demanded that this new marriage, as well as this written document, should remain secret in order to avoid scandal. Well, obviously that didn't work, or I wouldn't be telling you about it. The document was delivered to Philip, who had six other Protestant ministers sign it. On March 4, 1540, in the chapel of the castle of Rotenburg, in the presence of witnesses, including Melanchthon, this so-called marriage was solemnized. Brilliant. Just absolutely brilliant. Another great reform. Right at its root, Protestantism as a system. Now, we're certainly not talking about the average Protestant in their married life. We're not referring to them. We're not talking about our friends or neighbors. They've inheritors of a system that got its momentum and got started 500 years ago. But right at the root, Protestantism as a system, from the very beginning, has eliminated or redefined the various terms in the marriage contract. This is one of the foundational errors in Protestantism. It's at its very root. There's one more dangerous idea promoted by Father Luther that we should quickly note. And that is that Father Luther was adamant that marriage should be regulated not by the church, but rather by the state. Marriage should be regulated by the state, not by the church. So at the very dawn of the Protestant Revolt, we see a radical redefining of the definition of marriage, not just in the personal lives of the revolutionaries, but at the level of principles. It's obvious that divorce at some level has been permitted from the very beginning. And polygamy was both proposed and permitted at some level by the very founders of the system, both in England and on the continent. Marriage was proclaimed to be a civil matter, which belongs to the government. The judgments were to be left to the jurists. And these are the precise operating principles that are active in the divorce catastrophe and also these new forms of marriage in our whacked out times.
The logical consequences of the Protestant redefinition of marriage have been solely worked out and are now bearing their rotten fruits right before our horrified eyes. There's only one more attack to consider. It's the attack on the notion that the acts must be of themselves suitable for the generation of children. And this also arose in the Protestant camp. In 1930, in a complete and quite diabolical rupture from the preceding 19 centuries of unbroken Christian moral teaching, the Anglican bishops issued a statement stating that married couples had a right to acts which of themselves were not suitable for the generation of children. In other words, that contraception could be used. And I quote, In those cases where there is such a clearly felt moral obligation to limit or avoid parenthood, and where there is a morally sound reason for avoiding complete abstinence, other methods may be used. Close quote. On December 31, 1930, in response to this scandalous pronouncement of the Anglicans, Pope Pius XI issued his magnificent encyclical, Casti Canubis, on Christian marriage. December 31, 1930, on Christian marriage, Pius XI, I highly recommend it. Everybody should read this. I will quote what the Holy Father has to say. Pius XI. Since, therefore, openly departing from the uninterrupted Christian tradition, some recently have judged it possible to declare solemnly another doctrine regarding this question. The Catholic Church, to whom God has entrusted the defense of the integrity and purity of morals, standing erect in the midst of the moral ruin which surrounds her, in order that she may preserve the chastity of the nuptial union from being defiled by this foul stain, raises her voice in token of her divine ambassadorship, and through our mouth proclaims anew, any use whatsoever of matrimony exercised in such a way that the act is deliberately frustrated in its natural power to generate life is an offense against the law of God and of nature. And those who indulge in such are branded with the guilt of a grave sin. Close quote, the Vicar of Christ. Any use whatsoever of matrimony exercised in such a way that the act is deliberately frustrated in its natural power to generate life is an offense against the law of God and of nature. And those who indulge in such are branded with the guilt of a grave sin. It is mortally sinful. But there were other reactions to the Anglican pronouncement. Over here, the United States Federal Council of Churches, as we noted, it's now the National Council of Churches, had been waiting eagerly for a particular church to take the lead in modernizing the Protestant stance vis-a-vis -vis birth control. In March of 1931, the Federal Council of Churches endorsed, and I quote, the careful and restrained use of contraceptives by married people, close quote, while at the same time conceding that, quote, serious evils 
such as extramarital relations, may be increased by general knowledge of contraceptives. Close quote. Some Protestant denominations, and even the secular press, to their great credit, immediately condemn the notion of contraception within marriage. But over time, virtually all the Protestant denominations have gone over to the neo-pagan position of the Anglicans. I bring forth Exhibit A, book published by uh, Baker Bookhouse, a uh, Christian publisher. You can't read the title, so I will. This book is, let's see, 215-some pages. The title is Birth Control for Christians, Making Wise Choices. I suppose the companion volume must have a name like Adultery and Fornication for Christians, Making Wise Choices. Now, somebody might think this is just liberal Protestant trash. It is trash. That's for sure. But it would be an error to think that it's liberal Protestant trash. The Southern Baptists are not liberal Protestants. Let's see what they have to say. Here's a short quote taken from an article on contraception written by Dr. Albert Moeller, Jr. Now, he's the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. It's the flagship school of the Southern Baptist Convention and one of the largest Protestant seminaries in the world. By any measure, he is an extremely conservative Protestant. Dr. Moeller, quote, Evangelical couples may, at times, choose to use contraceptives in order to plan their families and enjoy the pleasures of the marital act. The moral justification for using contraceptives must be clear in the couple's mind and fully consistent with the couple's Christian commitments. And Christian couples must ensure that the methods chosen are really contraceptive in effect and not abortifacient. Close quotes. Evangelical couples may at times choose to use contraceptives, but not abortifacients. Although we bear Dr. Muller goodwill and we would do well to praise him for his clarity on the one point regarding the pill and other so-called contraceptives that actually cause abortions. That's what it means by an abortifacient. Many of these have with the features that cause chemical abortions. And that's a clarity that's sadly lacking in many Catholic publications and pulpits. But nevertheless, we must be very clear. Dr. Moeller is clearly advocating an anti-Christ, neo-pagan moral position. And there's no other way to color that. Now, with leadership and principles like this, small wonder our Protestant relatives, friends, neighbors are wrapped up in this. They go to their Protestant bookstore. They have books like this, Birth Control for Christians. They look on articles on contraception by the respected hard-right Protestant leaders, and they get this kind of advice. They don't know any better, for the most part. And they've got 500 years of nonsense to deal. We don't have that excuse. We have a magisterium. We have a Holy Father that at least he's made it clear, even if it hasn't necessarily trickled down to the other guy, through the other guys with collars on, we know the truth of this matter. So, until 1930, all Christians everywhere categorically rejected contraception as a moral evil. All Christians everywhere. 
1930, the Anglicans embraced a blatantly pagan approach to the marital act by stating that contraception was morally permissible. In 1931, the United States Federal Council of Churches, following the Anglican lead into utter darkness, endorsed the careful and restrained use of contraceptives by married couples. And today, only eight days, decades later, we believe in Catholics, and it's, so, it's sad that we have to qualify the word Catholic with believing, but that's the state of things. We believe in Catholics, find ourselves absolutely alone in teaching and believing that any use whatsoever of matrimony exercised in such a way that the act is deliberately frustrated in its natural power to generate life is an offense against the law of God and nature, and those who indulge in such are branded with the guilt of a grave sin. We're alone. There are other aspects of contraception that we need to consider. Pope Paul VI summarized a few in his encyclical Humana Vitae. Here are a few excerpts. Quote, Reflect on the consequences of artificial birth control. First, consider how easily this could open wide the door for marital infidelity and a general lowering of moral standards. Well, here we are. Look around at the sick society we live in. Back to the Holy Father. This is a very important point. A man who grows accustomed to the use of contraceptive methods may forget the reverence due to a woman. And disregarding her physical and emotional equilibrium, reduce her to being a mere instrument for the satisfaction of his own desires, no longer considering her as his partner whom he should surround with care and affection. Close quote, the Vicar of Christ. A man who grows accustomed to the use of contraceptives may forget the reverence due to a woman and reduce her to being a mere instrument for the satisfaction of his own desires. What is the Pope saying? He's saying in a very polite and papal way that the use of contraception may very well result in men treating women with all the respect and reverence normally afforded to ladies of the night. And then when we look around at our sick society, what do we see? See, precisely because contraception, and sterilization for that matter, turn the garden into a playground, they produce a certain mentality. And the mentality is that this act is all about pleasure. This act is all about pleasure, and it doesn't have any necessary connection to babies at all. That's the contraceptive mentality. Now, obviously, even the word contraception against conception clearly indicates the reality of the act. So that anyone who actually entertains this contraceptive mentality, this kind of an idea, is already profoundly disconnected from reality, but nevertheless, massive numbers of our fellow citizens, including a great many of our fellow Catholics, both lay and clerical, seem to have been infected by this notion. The real horror is that once this kind of idea begins to take root in a society, the idea 
that this act is all about pleasure and doesn't have any necessary connection with babies, once this idea takes hold in a society, then three things are certain to follow. Three things. The first thing, the first certain result is abortion. Abortion. Abortion is a perfectly predictable result of the contraceptive mentality. Why is that? Because when a couple has been engaging in this sort of behavior while somehow believing this is only for pleasure and doesn't have any necessary connection with babies, and then the woman finds herself pregnant, then one perfectly predictable reaction, granted, this is not the only possible reaction, but it is certainly one of them, this reaction to an unwanted pregnancy goes something like this. Hey, where did that come from? That's not part of this deal. I wasn't in for that. This was just, we're just supposed to have a good time. No babies. Get rid of it. So abortion is the first certain result of a society adopting a contraceptive mentality. The idea that this act is all about pleasure and doesn't have any necessary connection with babies. The second certain result of a society adopting the idea that the act is all about pleasure and doesn't have any necessary connection with babies is a huge increase in San Francisco-type behavior and other perversions. Why? Because if pleasure is used as the measure of the goodness of the act, then who is to say what particular types of pleasure are permitted? After all, there are many different ways to extract pleasure. And since babies aren't seen as having any necessary connection with that pleasure, why would any particular perversion be wrong? The third certain result of a society adopting a contraceptive mentality is a massive increase in confusion, misery, sorrow, sin and disease in this life. Just look around. And most horrific of all, eternal damnation in the next. So the three certain results of the society adopting contraceptive mentality are number one, a huge in- increase in abortion. Number two, a huge increase in San Francisco type behavior and other perversions. And number three, a huge increase in misery, sin, sickness, and sorrow in this life and eternal damnation in the next. Interestingly enough, essentially the same analysis of the first two points can be found by reading the majority opinion in the Lawrence versus Texas decision, in which Justice Kennedy, an enemy of God, man, and the natural law, and unfortunately also apparently a Catholic in good standing, starting with Griswold versus Connecticut, the 1965 decision which made contraception legally available to married couples, goes forward and explains the first two points, but from the warped and thoroughly immoral position of our Supreme Court. Now with all that by way of background, let's turn back to that prophetic statement made by Father Fulton J. Sheen in March of 1931 in response to the United States Federal Council of Churches' endorsement of the use of contraceptives by married couples. Fulton Sheen, 
Quote, Since a week ago last Saturday, we can no longer expect them, Protestants, to defend the law of God. These sects will work out the very logic of their ways, and in 50 or 100 years, there will be only the church and paganism. We will be left to fight the battle alone, and we will. Close quote. Well, here we are. It's only 81 years later. And just as Fulton Sheen predicted, there is now only the church and paganism. And unfortunately, in this battle, massive numbers of our fellow Catholics have joined the pagan forces and are now actively opposing us. They're in the pews. They're in the classrooms. They're in the pulpits. They're in the seminaries. They're in the chanceries. And they're certainly in the halls of our government. Now, in that regard, there is one more consideration from Pope Paul VI that we would do well to ponder deeply. Quote, Finally, careful consideration should be given to the danger of this power of contraception passing into the hands of those public authorities who care little for the precepts of the moral law. Close quote, the Vicar of Christ. Careful consideration should be given to the danger of the power of contraception passing into the hands of those public authorities who care little for the precepts of the moral law. Let's close with two reflections based loosely on that papal warning. First reflection, LifeSite News, November 28, 2011. It's less than two months ago. Quote, One of the highest-ranking cardinals in the Vatican has said that the United States is well on the way to the persecution of Christians. Cardinal Raymond Burke, former Archbishop of St. Louis and now the head of the Vatican's highest court, told the Catholic news agency that he could envision a time when the Catholic Church in the U.S., even by announcing her own teaching, is accused of engaging in illegal activity, for instance, in its teaching on human sexuality. Asked if the Cardinal could even see American Catholics being arrested for their faith, he replied, I can see it happening, yes. It is a war, he stated, describing the battle lines between a culture of secularization, which is quite strong in our nation, and the Christian culture, which has marked the life of the United States strongly during the first 200 years of its history. He says that it is critical at this time that Christians stand up for the natural moral law, especially in defense of life and the family. If Christians do not stand strong, give a strong witness, and insist on what is right and good for us both as individuals and society, he warned, the secularization will in fact predominate and it will destroy us. Close quote. In this cultural war, the United States is well on the way to the persecution of Christians. It is critical at this time that Christians stand up for the natural moral law, especially in defense of life and the family. The Catholic Church in the United States, even by announcing her own teaching, may well be accused of engaging in illegal activity, 
for instance, in its teaching on human sexuality. And American Catholics may very well be arrested for their faith. Final reflection. As we've seen more than 40 years ago, Pope Paul VI solemnly warned that careful consideration should be given to the danger of the power of contraception passing into the hands of those public authorities who care little for the precepts of the moral law. Last Thursday, three days ago, in an address given to the bishops of Washington, D.C. and the surrounding regions on the occasion of their ad limina visit, our Holy Father, Benedict XVI, gave a solemn warning to all the Catholics of the United States. Our Holy Father, quote, It is imperative that the entire Catholic community in the United States come to realize the grave threats to the Church's public moral witness presented by a radical secularism which finds increasing expression in the political and cultural spheres. The seriousness of these threats needs to be clearly appreciated at every level of ecclesial life. Close quote, Pope Benedict XVI. That is worth repeating. It is imperative that the entire Catholic community in the United States come to realize the grave threats the Church's public moral witness presented by a radical secularism which finds increasing expression in the political and cultural spheres. The seriousness of these threats needs to be clearly appreciated at every level of ecclesial life. That warning was given to us on Thursday. On Friday afternoon, just in time for the 39th anniversary of Roe v. Versus Wade, this statement was released. We will read important excerpts. A statement by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Secretary Kathleen Sebelius, January 20, 2012, Friday afternoon. Quote, In August 2011, the Department of Health and Human Services issued an interim final rule that will require most health insurance plans to cover preventative services for women, including recommended contraceptive services without charging a co-pay, co-insurance, or deductible. Today, the department is announcing that the final rule will ensure that women with health insurance coverage will have access to the full range of the Institute of Medicine's recommended preventative services, including all FDA-approved forms of contraception. Women will not have to forego these services because of expensive co-pays or deductibles or because an insurance plan doesn't include contraceptive services. After evaluating comments, we have decided to add an additional element to the final rule. Nonprofit employers who, based on religious beliefs, do not currently provide contraceptive coverage in their insurance plan will be provided an additional year until August 1st, 2013. 
to comply with the new law. Did everybody hear that? Non-profit employers who, based on the religious beliefs, do not currently provide contraceptive coverage in their insurance plan. Well, who might that be? We can narrow it down. We happen to belong to that religion. Nonprofit employers who, based on religious beliefs, do not currently provide contraceptive coverage in their insurance plan will be provided an additional year until August 1st, 2013, to comply with the new law. Cardinal designate Timothy M. Dolan responded, saying, In effect, the president is saying, We have a year to figure out how to violate our consciences. Back to Kathleen, the Catholic and good standing Sibelius. Employers wishing to take advantage of the additional year must certify that they qualify for the delayed implementation. This additional year will allow these organizations more time and flexibility to adapt to this new rule. Did everybody hear that? Employers wishing to take advantage of this additional year must certify that they qualify for the delay. An additional year is to allow these organizations more time and flexibility to adapt to this new rule. The legal counsel for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops points out that the Department of Human Health and Human Services has concluded that a church is not a religious employer if A, it serves those who are already not already members of the church. Oh, like for example, if the church takes care of the sick or the poor or any other corporal works of mercy, any Catholic hospital. What if they had a school? Go down the list. So, the health, a church is not a religious employer if it serves those who are not already members of the church. That's the first point. Number two, if it fails to hire based on religion. Or number three, does not... So if you have a Catholic hospital and you hire a janitor and you don't make sure that he's a Catholic, that's not a church operation. Number three, it does not restrict its charitable and missionary purposes to the inculcation of religious values. Well, thank you, Kathleen, for putting constraints on what Christ has established his church to do. In other words, the laws are so strict that most Catholic institutions will not and cannot possibly qualify for an exemption. Back to Kathleen, the Catholic in good standing Sibelius. We intend to require employers that do not offer coverage of contraceptive services to provide notice to employees, which will also state that contraceptive services are available at sites such as community health centers, public clinics, and hospitals with income-based support. Oh, so just in case you do get the waiver, you still have to give the handout directing them where they can get their nearest abortifacients. We will continue to work closely with religious groups during this transitional period to discuss their concerns. Now she's going to tell us about all the great health benefits of the pill in terms that make it sound almost like a secular sacrament. Kathleen, the Catholic in good standing Sibelius. Scientists have abundant evidence that birth control has significant health benefits for women and their families. 
Read the package insert. Scientists have abundant evidence that birth control has significant health benefits for women and their families. It is documented to significantly reduce health costs and is the most commonly taken drug in America by young and middle-aged women. This rule will provide women with greater access to contraception by requiring coverage and by prohibiting cost-sharing. This decision was made after very careful consideration. I don't know what kind of spells they were doing, but uh, this decision was made after very careful consideration, including the important concerns some have raised about religious liberty. I believe this proposal strikes the appropriate balance between respecting religious freedom and increasing access to important preventative services. The administration remains fully committed to its partnerships with faith-based organizations which promote healthy communities and serve the common good. Close quote. And obviously don't include us. There it is. Careful consideration should be given to the danger of the power of contraception passing into the hands of those public authorities who care little for the precepts of the moral law. It is imperative that the entire Catholic community in the United States come to realize the grave threats presented by radical secularism. The seriousness of these threats needs to be clearly appreciated at every level. In this cultural war, the United States is well on the way to the persecution of Christians. Actually, we've just arrived. It is critical at this time that Christians stand up for the natural moral law, especially in defense of life and the family. The Catholic Church of the United States, even by announcing her own teaching, may well be accused of engaging in illegal activity, for instance, in its teaching on human sexuality. And American Catholics may very well be arrested for their faith. In 50 or 100 years, there will be only a church in paganism. We will be left to fight the battle alone, and we will. Well, there is only the church in paganism now. And we are left to fight the battle. Better get really serious about your rosary. <laughs>